In this podcast to celebrate Pride, head of digital comms at the college, Peter Markham interviews Jesse, a partnerships manager and recovery worker from the outside project, as well as Dr. Jenny Driver, advisor to the college on homelessness. Welcome to the the Pridecast, as as we call it, the the podcast to celebrate Pride Month. Uh, I'm Peter Markham, the head of digital communications, uh, and um, Jesse, you're very welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name is Jesse. I work for the Outside Project, and I work as a partnerships manager and recovery worker. And we're lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Jenny Drive. Jenny, could you just say a little bit about yourself, please? Yep, I'm the um, consultant in a community mental health team for people who sleep rough in South London, and I'm the um, co- advisor to the College on homelessness. And you're very welcome uh, to the podcast as well. So. Um, the first question goes to Jesse, uh, and could you tell us a little bit about the Outside Project, who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Outside Project is an LGBTIQ plus identity responsive homeless shelter, community centre and DVA refuge. Um, so we were started in like 2017, um, which is a lot more recently than people guess, um, and then have gradually expanded from there. Um, so currently we run our community centre, uh, which is in Borough, um, which has a range of different support services um, and community groups that meet there. Um, and then we also do outreach into uh, temporary accommodation um, and other accommodations that people are in. And at the moment we are uh, campaigning to get a building to put our shelter in. So we've got everything ready to run the service apart from somewhere to put it. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of us. And how many people would you say you you help in a year, if it's possible to estimate? I, I never know what to put for this. This is what grant funders always ask. Um, so we have at least one group a week at the community centre, um, and each group has at least like 10 to 15 participants, um, and about two of those are new each day. Um, and then in the shelter, um, I believe our top ever capacity for bed spaces was something like 30 bed spaces at a time. And that was during peak COVID lockdown where we had um, emergency hotel provision in two different locations, the main shelter uh, and the DVA refuge. Um, so that's kind of our top capacity. Wow. And you were filling the 30 spaces, were you? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sound, it sounds like you do an amazing job. So um, you said a little bit about getting started in 2017 but how, how did you get started and what inspired it to be started? Yeah so it was started by uh, a group of people who worked in homelessness services but also had lived experience of homelessness um, and were all LGBTIQ plus people and kind of found that they kept being given more specific casework to do that was with other LGBTIQ plus people um, but then the service around them kind of wasn't being identity responsive to that. Um, so they decided to set up their own one. Um, so they campaigned uh, for to fundraise to start the shelter. Um, and this is kind of when I got involved in the project. Um, and I actually met one of the founders at an event called Poetry LGBT. So I met them at a poetry night where they had a bucket and they were selling raffle tickets. Um, and then I kind of got more involved in the project. Um, and we ended up opening a year earlier than planned. Um, so we raised enough money to buy status quo's old tour bus. So we bought wow. this really old disused tour bus with like foam bunks. Um, and we bought it kind of for the price it would take the person to get it off the lot. Um, Cause they were like, I've only really got it for sentimental reasons. If you 
pay us the amount it takes to get it up and running again, you can drive it and use it as a shelter. Um, so we did that as a pilot, um, which was kind of an odd way around to do it because usually organizations will do research first and be like, we've proved that we need this, now can we have it? And then that second step is more difficult. Whereas we went the other way around where we proved that we needed it by having it. Um, so when we opened, we didn't actually know whether we were gonna be used. Um, and then we found that we were full from like week one onwards, um, all of the bed spaces on that bus were used. Um, but what we also found was that people were staying with us a lot longer than they were staying in conventional night shelters. Um, so people were sleeping on bunks for like some people stayed the duration of the of the winter project because um, there just weren't those move on options, um, especially for people with no recourse to public funds and for trans women particularly. Um, yeah, it was much more difficult to find those move on options. Um, so from that, we decided that we should run it in a in a building that was more sustainable for people to live in for a longer time. Um, and after some moving about, we then gradually moved into Clerkenwell Fire Station. Um, and that was where we first had our own community centre open and the shelter at the same time. Um, so that enabled us to have long stay rooms. And we also had rooms for couples. Um, as well as the shorter stay rooms as well. Um, so it became like a really mixed service with not only its own communal space, but also the community centre downstairs so people could really quickly join all the community groups that were involved as well. Um, and then during COVID, we went to 24 hours. So instead of being a night shelter, we became 24 hour service, um, kind of almost overnight um, and have remained 24 hours since then. Um, so we also opened the DVA refuge, um, which was um, again, in response to those extra pressures we were seeing during the pandemic. Um, and yeah, kind of kept that open as well. So now that exists as a drop-in at the centre, also looking for a building for that. Um, and then the, the shelter we're campaigning to reopen again. Um, but the centre is very much open and yeah, has something going on every day of the week. So yeah, it's kind of expanded really, really quickly <laughs> from not very long ago. And part of that's been because of the pandemic. And it's an amazing start to the, to the charity's life is ha having this tour bus did that help you get some um some some media and some um did that give you promotional opportunities oh yeah definitely um, also we're not um we're a community interest company not a charity um, uh -huh. which i always have to clarify because i'm also the person that does all the corporate partnership stuff um which is very important to a lot of corporate partners um it did actually mean that during the pandemic that was why we were able to stay open without there being that much bureaucracy involved in it because we could just ask the whole staff team and all of the directors really quickly and make that decision um, so it did mean we were open when a lot of other services weren't but yeah we're a community interest company um yeah the tour bus did definitely get us a lot of attention um and it's kind of what people remember so people remember that and they remember the fire station because they're both like unusual places to run a shelter um and it did kind of mean that we could hit the ground running with people having heard of us so people still know us as the the ones that ran it on a tour bus you said that people stayed with you um for a long time because it was hard to find places for them to move on to was was there mm -hmm. any of it which was they were staying with you for a long time because they felt comfortable um being in in an environment that you'd created for them i mean so there are definitely there were lots of people that didn't want to leave um and we've had people that when they've got all of their money sorted out just want to pay to stay with us um, so just like could I not just rent my room that I've got here already um, but it's always meant to be temporary it's always meant to be a shelter it's meant to be this is where you are and then you continue 
your life after this. Um, and part of that is why the community centre is so important, because that's a service that is open to anyone, whether or not they've experienced homelessness and what they're currently going through. Um, so they don't have to feel like when they move out, they completely leave us. And that was, again, one of the problems with having the centre closed during the pandemic is that when people left, they felt like they couldn't couldn't ever come back and couldn't have that continued connection with us. Um, and having the centre open has alleviated that so much. So it's never something that we would want people to stay long term. Um, I mean, maybe if we had a bigger building and we could have all different types of accommodation, I would love that. Um, but where at the moment it is very much like this is temporary and we try and encourage people to think about what move on options they have, which can be really difficult for people that don't have them. Um, but for when they do have them, think about how they can move on and how they're going to stay connected to the service. But yeah, it is more difficult, I think, than a lot of other services where people are just like, I want to leave immediately and I hate it. Um, we don't have that problem at all. <laughs> it's really interesting to hear about this at any time. Uh, the reason we're speaking now, though, is to record the podcast to mark Pride Month. So uh, what is the outside project doing for Pride? Uh, and what do you think it means for people, Pride? What do you think Pride means for people who use your services? Mm -hmm. um, so what, in terms of what we're doing for Pride Month, um, so we have Outsider Pride, which we run every year, and we run that in partnership with Carlswell Community Centre in Camden. Um, so we kind of take over their, um, they've got like a park space next to the community centre, which they own, but everyone assumes it's a public park because of how they run it, because um, they're like very, very, a very cool organisation that we've been working with for a long time. Um, so they have this park that basically looks like a public park um that we take over for the day and run outside of pride um so we have like a gazebo and a sound system um and we have speeches and kind of anyone can take the mic and anyone can perform what they want to um and we do that without any corporate sponsors um so it's completely owned by the community um and for a lot of people it's their first experience of pride um so instead of there being all of the complexities around pride for accessibility and for particularly people of colour and for transphobia and all those things that kind of come along with mainstream pride. Um, often that's not people we work with their first experience of pride. Their first experience of pride is sitting on the grass with us listening to music and eating pizza. Um, so yeah, it becomes a much more positive first experience than I think a lot of people have of bigger prides. And then we do also go to bigger prides as well. Um, but it's very much either us running a store or running a sober space um, rather than us kind of running a pride event um, and we did have we have had a couple of years ago um, there's a, a video that went around of us not being allowed to join the parade um, and there being like a police uh, and pride in london volunteer blockade between us and the parade um, which was really unexpected because it's always been that in at pride in london that organizations can join or groups can join the back of the parade um, without having bought wristbands um, and then yeah there was this weird thing one year where there was this blockade between us so we, yeah we've had a, a complex relationship with mainstream prides um, in terms of like in general what does pride mean to our community so i run a group every week called pride lounge because we wanted to continue that feeling for it not to just be pride month um, and for that to be part of the process of recovery and part of yeah, the process of finding identity as we think about pride in our daily lives. Um, so instead of re-traumatizing ourselves, we think about what are we proud of, what have we worked through, what are we going to achieve in the future? Um, and we do that by having a community cooking group and then we all eat together. Um, and then we all have a sharing circle where we share things that we're proud of, share things that we've worked through. Um, 
yeah I think it's something that people have a really complex relationship to and I kind of want to prioritize it as a a feeling of self-identity rather than all the complexities around like oh should be pride should pride be sponsored um should we be doing a march should we be doing a protest should we be having a parade I would rather think about why was it named that in the first place um yeah that, that sounds great so I'd, I'd now like to bring Dr Jenny Dreyf into the conversation Jenny you introduced yourself earlier can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement in helping the homeless in terms of mental health care and how you got involved in that please um as I say I'm a consultant psychiatrist in a community mental health team for rough sleepers in South London we cover three boroughs and we work with people with severe and enduring mental illness we've also in two of our boroughs we have um, sub teams which work with people who are vulnerably housed and who have coexisting mental health and substance misuse problems because um, that often tends to coexist and as for how I got involved with it it was an accident really in back in 2006 I took a staff grade job in a similar CMHT in North London and very quickly realized it was what I wanted to do and so I've essentially been in the field as much as I can since then with a bit of work in addictions I was an addictions consultant for a while because the two as I say are closely linked together okay uh thank you obviously with your background it must be interesting to hear about the work outside projects are doing it's really wonderful to hear about actually um I'm surprised I haven't heard about it before but now I shall try to um foster some links Jesse yeah uh, please it, send people our way <laughs> yeah, yeah we will do because it, it, it's such a necessary thing for people to have a space where they feel safe and they feel welcomed um, and wonderful to hear about a shelter where people don't want to leave and aren't sort of looking for the next place so so thank you Jesse for everything you do. Did you say you were from you work in South London Jenny and um, the shelters in North London so is there um, is there a South London equivalent by the sounds of it there isn't? I said well our community centre is in South London you mentioned borough did you yeah so we are kind yeah. of just behind borough station um and it is also step free access from the station into the center because you can also get through from london bridge um and we have a accessible shower there um and also we have groups like on a tuesday morning you can go and get breakfast there as well um so it sometimes looks a little bit like like a day center um as well as having those other community groups in it as well but yeah we are center is in south london at the moment the shelter itself is homeless um and we are looking for buildings um anywhere in london really um yeah we could end up anywhere um <laughs> but we've historically been in islington and then we do a lot of work in camden as well um so we sort of yeah borough and north london has historically been our, our home i'm glad the podcast has been able to bring bring you two together <laughs> um so uh jenny we've heard Jesse, tell us about uh, the people, the outside projects helping from your experience of working with the homeless. Uh, are there extra challenges which homeless people from diverse groups, whether they're from a minority ethnic background, LGBTQ plus uh, or some other minority face and what, what can be done to help? Yeah, sadly, I think that is very much the case, unfortunately. I mean, the first thing to say is that homelessness is very closely linked to mental health problems. So in one study by Homeless Link, they found that 80% of people who were homeless reported having mental health problems. 45% of people have been diagnosed with a mental health problem. So that whether it's cause or effect, it's, it's very closely linked together. And being homeless is very isolating experience. So a lot of our patients is Jesse referred to who have experienced trauma, often very profound trauma um, in their lives. And 
sometimes because of that, people have a great difficulty with trust, with forming relationships, and particularly may have difficulty with trusting in authorities. And I think if you're from a minority group of any sort, I think that adds another layer to that. So you might be worried about how people are going to respond to you. You might be worried about facing discrimination, whether your identity will be respected or even recognised. Um, and it's really about finding a place where you feel safe. And I think that's harder to do with the more layers of things that get added on to, to, to your situation. So one example is we we often work with people who are who've sought asylum in the UK and have been persecuted because of their sexuality in their home countries. And that's a sort of multiple level of, of, of distrust that have has formed. And it's very hard to get over that to find people relationships and, and places where they feel safe. Um, it, it's a lot of work to do. So it's great to hear about these projects which are, you know, form to, to try to help people in that situation. As for what we can do, well, I think, as I say, it is about finding safety, whether that's safe, safe spaces, whether that's relationships or, or physical spaces. Um, and I think we've got a lot to learn from, from specialist projects like Jesse's project. But I also think that mainstream services need to do everything they can to, to be inclusive, to respect people's identity, whoever they are. And I think that probably starts with with forming relationships with the individual, whoever they are, and and showing that you you're respecting them as the person that they are, whoever that might be. I think it's always interesting thinking about inclusion within mainstream services because it's something that I'm like very passionate about and definitely agree that we should be doing. Um, and then people are always like, then why do you, why do you need a specialist LGBTIQ plus service? Um, and I think the thing it always links back to is actually empowering people. Um, so. We get so many people that come through our service um, and then we'll kind of ask me like, oh, how did you get your job or how could I get more involved in the outside project? Like it's definitely something that they see themselves as I could be part of making this change as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's why identity responsive services that are kind of by and for are so important as well. Um, and having that way of like subverting power structures where it's not always coming from someone in a position of power to help you. It's coming from within the community and we're building it for ourselves. Um, so I think both have to exist in tandem and there's also kind of a worrying trend of just doing diversity and inclusion training within mainstream organisations rather than funding by and for organisations, um, which I always want to move away from and want to make the case for why by and for is so important. Jesse, um, we're grateful to you for coming on the podcast. Uh, it would be remiss of us not to allow you to mention Outside Project's own podcast. Yeah, we have one episode of a podcast so far, which I have not listened to because I don't like listening to my voice and I'm in it, <laughs> which is us talking about our memories of the fire station when we knew that we were going to going to leave that building. Um, but we do also have a really exciting project, hopefully coming up, um, that my colleague Holly is going to run about sounds and recording our own sounds. So they're going to give people recording devices to record ambient noise or whatever noises they think are important in their own lives um, and then make that into an audio piece in addition to doing some more traditional podcast episodes as well um, so I'm really excited about that um, and I've already sent Holly some of my ambient sounds as well. <laughs> Wonderful and if people would like to learn more about the outside project and, and your work how do they do mm -hmm. that? Uh, so you can go to lgbtiqoutside.org um, and that has all of the community groups on it it also has 
a contact form if you can't find what you're looking for on the website the contact form goes through to me directly um so that's how you reach on that um and then as i say we are also open in borough on 52 lant street um next to a building called the rise um and if you just want to drop in uh tuesday mornings from 10 a.m to 2 p.m it's probably the best time there's breakfast food showers there or uh saturdays um can i remember the timing for saturdays i believe it is two till four i want to say but i can check um and that's again when it is when it is open access as well um but yeah on the website there's all different groups as well fantastic thank you very much both of you for joining us thank you thank you that's the invite